This is episode six with artist and educator Lily Ash Sakula. Have you ever wondered how do artists come up with ideas for their next painting? How do CEOs disrupt industries? How do chefs combine unexpected ingredients? Where do leaders find their strength and courage? Well, you've come to the right place. Magical Humans is about to make you feel seen and connected on a whole other level. My name is Vania Vananina. I'm an artist and creativity expert, and I am on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. Lily, thank you so, so much for being here. This means a lot to me. I love your work. I think of you as an artivist. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think I've recently started thinking of myself as an artist and uh, an educator. And kind of mm -hmm. I want to bring together those two things as often as possible. Yeah, that is that is really good. When I talk about you or they ask me about you, I said, oh, they are an illustrator and animator, but they're really into social justice issues and gender issues. So I don't know. I just I read that term like art artivist and I, I'm, I don't know. It just your art. It's so even if you I feel that even if you are not actively trying to push an issue or or make a point, it feels like a statement. It's very clear, you know, that you are talking or making art about an issue. But if I think of your early comics, I still feel there was a sociopolitical commentary as you shared your loneliness or your humanness oh well that's really nice to hear yeah I I do think that making art has to be something that looks outwards you know and that looks towards like making the world a better place or a happier place or a brighter place or explaining something that's difficult to people or reflect mm -hmm. to people who aren't often reflected like all of these yes. things are really important and I think we should use art as much as possible to do them. And representation matters. So whenever you shed light on those issues in a way that is understandable and accessible to people, to normal folk, it's. I think it's great because uh, sometimes I find it hard to understand an issue when there's all this uh, complicated jargon or, I don't know, like a scientific text But then you come along and you make a comic or a beautiful art piece, an illustration, animation about something. And I'm like, ah, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Thank you. I, I feel like you're giving me too much credit, but I'll take it. <laughs> no, stop it. Take it all. You're such a magical human. So, Lily, tell us about you. What is, what is your story? What do you do? Why do you do it? Where do you come from? I started making comics about six or seven years ago now, um, kind of out of the blue. I had a kind of slightly boring office job and I wanted to do something a bit different. 
And I started just making these little comics about my life and I was really enjoying them and, and really, and lots of people sort of gave me really good feedback. And I slightly crazily decided to quit my job and move to America and make comics, um, which sounds a bit mad, but it was a really good decision because I got to then kind of explore this whole new part of me, which was being an educator and working with kids. And from, from the time I got there, I was kind of working with young people in schools and in various organizations. And what I really wanted to do was kind of find ways to bring the art that I made and, and um, the kind of youth work and the things I was learning about education together. And that's kind of what I'm still trying to do. I'm still in the process of learning how to do that. But more and more, I'm realizing that's kind of the thing that really excites me. What is your favorite part about that process or that interaction with um, youth or kids in making art and all these important issues? What, Out of all of those elements, what is your favorite thing? I like that young people ask really hard questions and they make me think a lot in order to answer them. Um, and so that's always a really nice, challenging feeling that I don't just get to make art in a vacuum or I don't just get to make art without thinking about it. I have to, you know, when a kid asks me like, why are we doing this and what does it mean and who is that person and, and what is it about them that's important? And I need to think about those things and explain them in ways that are understandable to everybody young people will take an idea and they will run with it and they'll go to the kind of maddest places that you would never have expected them to. And that's really fun. Yeah. Um, I'm It actually is. working with old people at the moment as well, which is a whole new uh, thing for me. You're working with both ends of the spectrum, both young ends people of the spectrum. and old people. <laughs> yeah. So the old people are actually like quite a lot like the young people in that they'll talk nonstop without really caring, you know, what, what, <laughs> what you have to say. Um, but the old people, you know, they're a little bit slower. They don't move around as much, which can be quite relaxing. <laughs> Because you're not running around after them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and what are the things that you're working uh, with them? What are, can you, Tell us about specific projects that are you working with kids right now and with the old people. <laughs> the old people, like they're like a, this group, the old people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the project I'm doing with the, with the older people is in a, a care home in South London. And we are teaching a group of old people in this home uh, to dance, um, which is really fun. And we're bringing all this music from the 60s um, so into this cute. home. And we have this dance teacher there and she's kind of doing all of these exercises with them and and getting them to kind of do some actual physical dancing and then tell stories about, you know, uh, the dancing they used to do when they were young or the dancing they still do today. Um, and my role in the project is to animate it. So I'm going around and drawing the old people and kind of capturing the dance moves and I'm going to make a little film at the end of the project with lots of old people dancing in it, which is really fun. I can't 
wait to see it. That sounds so fun. I feel like I'm, I want to cry and laugh at the same time. That's so cute. <laughs> oh, my God. They're so cute. I love them so much. They're just like, oh. they just have such wildly rich lives, you know? Like there was yeah. this one woman and I was sort of asking her, oh, what did you used to do? Um, before you, uh, you know, before you, before you were old, essentially. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she's, uh, she's this woman from, uh, the Ivory Coast. And she was like, um, talking about, you know, growing up there and coming to England. And then she was like, and when I got to England, I babysat murderers. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it turned out she was like a prison warden for like 30 years or whatever. Um, which is, uh, I don't know. I just, I just, I hadn't expected it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so candid. Huh? Yeah, so candid. <laughs> the murderer babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I just feel like all people are like that as well. Like they can just say anything like they're not. Scared yeah, they don't care. Them. They just say it out loud. Exactly. They, they'll just tell you. And the other group I'm working with at the moment are this, um, are teenagers from a queer youth group um, in North London, so other side of London, North East. Also both sides of the spectrum on the city that you live exactly. in, right? Um, and we're doing this project around um, euphoria and dysphoria. So um, dysphoria is like the feeling of not fitting into your body, whether that's around your gender or, you know, expectations that society has for you or whatever it is. So it's like a very topical issue um in teenagers obviously um but it's pr it's particularly used for trans um trans people and a lot of the teenagers in this group are trans um and then euphoria is the sense of like being totally at home in your body like that feeling of when you put on that like perfect outfit and you go out into that like beautiful sunshine and everything just feels completely right um, yeah. and you like take a selfie in the right light and you're like oh my god You know, you're feeling yourself. You're feeling yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, as Beyonce would say. So what we're, <laughs> what we're what we're exploring with them is the kind of the spaces and the moments when we switch between those things. So when we switch from feeling euphoric in our gender to feeling dysphoric and vice versa. Um, and we're going to do it through uh, making these clay puppets. Um, and each mm. kid is making a clay puppet that's kind of an expression of, of their own gender euphoria. So it might be them or it might be a character that is kind of fully living, fully feeling itself and, um, or themselves. And then we're going to animate them moving from a kind of position of, uh, of weakness and sadness and dysphoria and discomfort into a position of strength and happiness and confidence. And that each of them is going to make a little gif based on these um, clay characters. So I'm really excited about that. That's going to be a fun That is project. so beautiful. Yeah, I hope and I so. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> no, I love that it's um, the whole concept of it, you know, um, talking about these two things that exist in the world and especially, as you mentioned, uh, with trans youth or trans people and, and there are things that need to be talked about. <laughs> and see, this is what I mean about you making information accessible to people in order for us to process our feelings and emotions and understanding even better. 
they are the only ones that can speak from their experience, you know? And those are the opinions and experiences we should listen to because they are in their skin living that. Mm -hmm. And you are taking that issue and making clay puppets and making gifts. I mean, that is something fun and 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 fun, you know, just taking taking this medium uh to explain something to audiences that might not understand it other ways. And also you're using your hands, you know, there's a whole creative process for you and them. Yeah. That is amazing, Lily. I think it's really exciting when you start making things with people. You know, I think that leads to the the best conversations. I know me and you have a lot of really good conversations when we're making stuff together. Oh yeah. How did you find these two very different, very very similar groups at the same time? The youth and the old people. How did you yeah, how why how are you working with them? Um, the old people is, was an artist commission that I applied for, um, through this really amazing theater company, uh, in South London that does all kinds of projects with, um, older people and, uh, they're called the Albany and, uh, yeah. So I just, I just applied for this commission back in the summer and, um, and got it and, and they, congratulations. So that was easy. Um, And then the youth project was slightly more uh, complicated. What happened? Oh, so basically youth project is part of my final film that I'm making for my masters. Um, and I found out that this person who used to live with my best friend from childhood now runs a youth group in Hackney, which is this, this queer youth group. And so I approached her and I was like, would you like me to come and do some animation with your young people? And it could be about this. And we ended up kind of, um, so I pitched her the whole idea and then we brainstormed it into three workshops. And, and that was it, basically. So, you know, random connections, I guess. The world is such a small place. Yeah. I feel like I, on that note, I want to share how we met each other. Go on then. <laughs> Are you ready for this dramatic ride? I was born ready for it. <laughs> so Lily and I met in the most random way. Some friends were living in Venice Beach, California. And I was living in Tijuana at the moment. I was in college. And sometimes I would go there for long weekends and just enjoy the beach and their company. And they would invite me to a party or riding bikes, things like that. And they had a room that they would sublet every now and then. And there was this woman called Jenny Ash subletting it. And it was her last weekend, actually, that same weekend that I went there to visit them. So... We had lunch on Jenny's very last day. She invited me over for some sushi at the beach and we were talking. And so then Jenny and I stayed connected on Facebook and that was it. You know, the kind of acquaintance that you see on Facebook, but you don't really, you are updated through the pictures they share and that kind of thing, but you don't really talk. So then suddenly one day at this time, uh, I was living in Portland already and then 
I saw a post uh, from Jenny, like on Facebook, that said, hey, my sister's kid is moving to Portland. Is somebody there? I would like to connect them with some cool peeps. And I'm like, hey, Jenny, how are you? I live in Portland. I would love to meet up with them. So then she set us up, Lily and I, through, you know, like a Facebook message. And we decided to meet at this food cart pod. It was November and Dia de Muertos had just passed. And we started talking about life and college and traveling. And suddenly, I don't know if Lily brought up the Dia de Muertos, if they asked me if I celebrated or I brought it up that I had made an altar for my departed loved ones. But we started talking about death and we both had had experiences with grief. So... I lost my dad when I was six years old. Uh, he died from complications of cancer. And Lily lost their partner from complications of cancer as well. So this super light, random strangers meeting turned into this very intense talk about death and cancer and feeling alienated from your surroundings and your family members and your friends because no one under even though we had gone through different situations I lost a parent and Lily lost their partner still you know death when you're young is something that not a lot of people experience or at least the people that surrounded us had an experience. So I like to say, and this is like in conclusion, that Lily and I bonded over grief and ramen. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, Lily and I established a friendship and I was so grateful to Jenny. But somehow Lily and I, it was like this instant connection. Like we didn't for the first time in our lives, and I think I speak for both of us, if not, correct me, Lily, we were looking at a young person that was our age, and this other person just understood all the complexities about grief, and we didn't have to explain it. And it was just, at that moment, I felt so seen, it, like I had never been seen before. Yeah, I I really agree. I think it was a it was like a really magical moment and a time when I was really lonely and like processing a lot of things that I hadn't sort of got round to yet, you know, and I was sort of struggling with them all by myself in this foreign country and it was just so magic that I met you and that we could struggle with them together. Yes, that was a huge blessing that we could struggle Together, because even though Lily's loss was more recent and mine had happened uh, 20 years ago at that moment, I had not processed that grief. So we went through it together. And the thing that happened next, as Lily, uh, as our friendship grew and, you know, time passed, I started to feel more comfortable about talking about grief and exploring my feelings and one night, one sleepless night, I stumbled upon this place on the internet, the International 
Center for Grieving Children. The dog, it's called the Doggy Center, and it was established in 1986. And this center for grieving children and, and grieving families and youth was in Portland, Oregon. I could not believe my eyes. And when I went into the webpage and I saw all the resources and the things, I, I also had another moment of feeling seen, like, what? There's a place where grieving children come and they're not weird. They're not misfits. And you can talk about death or not talk about death and just play with other kids that also lost loved ones. Like, what is this place? So I saw that they had a young adult support group because their main thing is they have support groups for kids and families. But my only experience regarding support groups was not even firsthand. When I read support group, I thought fight club. <laughs> I thought dimly light, uh, crappy rooms with foldable chairs and super depressing, everything gray. And, you know, I'm like, no, I'm so not doing that. Around that time, Lily came over for lunch and I was like, hey, Lily, guess what I found? And we started looking at the website and I'm like, and guess what? They have a young adult uh, support group, but I think it's going to be really weird and maybe depressing. So, yeah, I just I just wanted to let you know. But yeah, let's not let's not go there. And Lily was like, no, let's let's call. And I'm like, no. And I started panicking and Lily was like, let me just call. So <laughs> Lily called and then I was just like pacing around the room and so nervous and really freaking out because this meant, you know, now that I'm on the other side, I can understand this meant that I was going to have a place to share all of these feelings and grief. And I was really going to be seen for what I was as a human. Anyway, Lily hung up the phone. And they're like, yeah, there's another meeting this Wednesday and we can just show up and we can just fill some paperwork there. It's no biggie. And I'm like, oh, no, but and just like making excuses. And Lily just like calmed me down and they said, look, we're going to go. And if you hate it, we're just going to stand up in the middle of the session and we're never going to look back. And that is fine. And we're going to have some food and that is OK. And I'm like, OK. <laughs> so Lily went with me and to our surprise when we got there. Is the most beautiful, cozy house that you've ever seen with a marble kitchen full of popcorn and M &M. freshly baked cookies and M&Ms and tea and all of these things. And it's so well lit. And let me tell you, that room was not depressing at all. It was nice and new and carpeted. And, and all of the people... We're just there sharing experiences. It's not a therapy session. It's not something to get advice. They have very strict guidelines that you're just there to share. It's a safe space for you to share your, your experience. And you don't even have to talk if you don't want to. So we went there and we went together every other week for like a year or a year and a half. And our grief evolved. We evolved and many things happen, but for me, it was really important to share that Lily is a magical human being beyond the art they make and the people they work with. It was a, a beautiful moment in the universe that we bonded over that and that we were able to struggle together, cry together and vent together and just like 
process things together and and like make really art grateful. about it together as well yes we made so much art about it I think that was really cool like I made a graphic novel about losing my partner which was just a really amazing experience like it was really really hard to do and really hard to show people and Vanya was definitely like one of the first people I showed it to if not the first like with each new draft they'd be like what do you think is this okay and she was like so supportive and and like the best cheerleader you know on that note how do you feel in what ways do you feel grief has influenced your life and your art for that matter i think the most important thing that it's given me is a sense of empathy and like understanding of suffering um, and pain. And even if people aren't going through the same thing or even a similar thing to the things that I went through, I think I feel closer to being able to understand and, and, and empathize and kind of be there for people. I think I wouldn't be able to be present and and like a good friend or a good partner to people in the same way if I didn't know what that was like. And I think it also gives you a bit more of a sense of maybe of not taking yourself too seriously in terms of my art. And I think that really helps because I think sometimes when I start getting really, really worked up about something that I'm making, I'm like not really making good stuff anymore or, or true stuff. And I think it's being able to keep that lightness and that partly comes from kind of knowing that nothing lasts forever and we don't have time to be kind of taking everything really seriously and agonizing and stressing out, you know, we've just got to get on with stuff. Yes, that is so true. And I feel I can relate to that. Yeah. Thank, thank you for sharing that. So Lily, in the graphic novel that you created after your partner passed called Peace or Toast, I loved it so much. I had never seen any art that talked about death in such an organic, natural, human way. Again, even though it was not my experience and we were not the same age and it was a totally different circumstance, I felt so seen. And the first, on the first page of your graphic novel, you depict yourself explaining, it's like grief 101, and you are going to let people know about it. So you are on a whiteboard or something, and you're like, these are the stages of grief. And instead of the regular, you know, five, seven stages enumeration, you're just like, bleh, it's just like a a doodle that looks like a knot, like chaos, like it's all over the place. It's just a, a blob. Can you elaborate on that, please? <laughs> um, elaborate on my scribble. Yeah, well, I think sometimes when you first lose someone, it's very comforting, the idea that there might be these like stages that you go through and you tick them off one at a time and then they're over and you've, you know, and you've completed grief and you you don't get a certificate, but you feel better, you know? I think I wanted that and I was looking for, for, you know, to kind of do that. 
but then when it happened it it wasn't really like that at all you know I was angry and I was sad and I was confused and I was horny all at the same time like with no kind of rhyme or reason to it you know and it just I I'd spent a lot of time kind of you know telling myself off for doing it wrong and sort of saying oh you know you shouldn't be feeling this way you should be feeling that way or or whatever and it's just such a waste of energy because really like we're all you know all of the feelings that we have are valid and we're all going to do it in our own way and I just think the more the more people I've met who've grieved and and been through it and the more different and every single one of them has a different way of doing it and I just think Oh, well, I mean, it, it, you know, it's obvious, but there, there isn't like a right way to do it. And it is just a complete mess. And you are just basically a complete mess for a good few years. And then you start to be a bit less of a mess, but it doesn't go away. You just sort of live with that mess a little better, I think. Yes. And to put it in other words, in sharing my personal thoughts, I think mm. the stages of grief are bullshit. I mean, I think <laughs> that I think they are real because you go through all of those stages. But the chronology, to put it best, the chronology of the stages of grief is bullshit because you definitely feel them all at the same time yeah. with no sense at all. So... Yeah, you you are, you know, in denial and you're angry and you're depressed or whatever, but all at the same time. So, yeah, there's no <laughs> I wanted to touch base on that because I also felt wrong when I was grieving. I'm like, I'm doing this wrong. I should be at this stage. I should be feeling this way. I shouldn't be crying this much or I shouldn't be dwelling on this thing. And no, you know, there's a everyone is different everyone experiences things differently and there's no right or wrong way to grieve I think I really felt like the thing that I really felt I should be doing is like smashing more things I felt like in movies people <laughs> always like smashing things and I yeah. didn't really smash anything and I was like you can't even really be properly sad you haven't smashed anything <laughs> like <laughs> we should do a smashing session yeah <laughs> for all time's sake <laughs> see this is what I'm talking about I before you I I had never had these conversations so I want to talk about gender and or the lack of that whole thing that we are able to see more and hear more of in this in this era and I feel like now there's all these wonderful possibilities for a child to come into the world and in the right environment or you know in a certain environment be able to just be a child and just be human how do you feel about this do you remember when you were a kid like when did you learn what to be gay was or when did you learn about trans people can you share a little bit of your experience yeah well the really weird thing when I was a kid there was this law in the UK called section 28 and they didn't get rid of it until I was kind of well into my teenage years but basically what it said was you're not allowed to in any way promote homosexuality in schools so it was basically like not allowed to be talked about at all oh my by god So I went through like my entire schooling, all of my sex education, 
without anyone talking about, you know, that there was even a possibility of not being straight, which is quite strange. Luckily, uh, I also had my mum, who was very into talking to me about gay stuff. Um, so I, I knew I knew about it. My mum would always tell me about how she used to have this girlfriend in the 70s before she met my dad. And um, she had lots of gay friends who we used to hang out with. So I guess I had a sense of, of queerness as a child. And I was definitely kind of one of those tomboy kids who, who used to like refuse to wear dresses and things like that. Although I remember I once, when I was a kid, I went into the girls' bathroom and I had very short hair and I was wearing, I don't remember what I was wearing, probably like big colourful jumper and leggings, which is what I always wore. Um, <laughs> and this girl started shouting and being like, there's a boy in the girls' toilets. And this teacher came running and she was like, you've got to get leave the girls' toilets. What are you doing in here? And I was like, I'm a girl. Like, why Aww. are you Believe me. <laughs> After that, I did wear dresses for like two years because I just didn't want to get showered out in the girls' bathroom again, which was a bit sad. And it makes me really sad when I work in, in, in schools now and I see kids like segregated by gender in, in that way. I just think it's, I think there's a lot more conversation and like in the schools that I've worked in, there's been lots of conversation about being gay and kids even know what trans means and things like that. But it's still, there's still a long way to go. But I do, I do feel very hopeful when I talk to kids, actually, because they're always so much more, like, woke than anybody else, you know? Mm-hmm, they are. But I don't think I really came into any sort of, I think it wasn't really until I moved to Portland that I, that I worked out the thing that had been bothering me about my gender for a really long time. And I think for a long time, I was just like, oh, I just don't feel very comfortable in this and I don't really want to be that and everything you know and all the the labels seem wrong and I don't think that I'm a lesbian but I'm also not straight and like what is you know what is this what is this um and it was really for me it was really it was really helpful to come to Portland and to meet a bunch of like queer and trans people who gave me that language you know and and now that I identify as non-binary it just feels like so right and it makes so much sense like looking back at a lot of my life it makes a lot of sense. I remember once we were talking about gender and labels and feeling comfortable in your own skin mm. and you mentioned that there was a time I think you were a teenager and you were in London and there was a you had this big giant coat that was like a parka. And you said that when you wore it, you felt invincible. Yeah, I, I do remember that coat. It was such a great coat. And I just <laughs> could go anywhere in it. I could walk around the streets of London in the middle of the night and I just never felt, I always felt safe because I was just this big kind of chunky figure and there was no, you're right, it, it, there was no like gendering me. And it's funny, isn't it? The way that like... I guess safety and comfort are kind of interestingly, I've been thinking about this recently, the way that safety and comfort like play off against each other, you know, because sometimes in order to be safe, you have to like dress in a way or, or be in a way that isn't necessarily 
comfortable for you you know sometimes when I want to be safe I won't wear the clothes that I really want to wear or I won't like act the way that I would really want to act but I think there's also this sense in which like so I was talking to this kid in my in my queer youth group this week and um they were saying that when they're at home they wear this mask where they're just this nice innocent straight girl and um you know and that and that's what their family knows you know but when they go out with their friends they're a completely different person and this mask that keeps them safe at home is also something that like hurts them yeah that feels kind of can feel confining or like even you know like destructive of yourself you know i think it's a really hard choice you've sometimes got to make between between those two things and sometimes it's not a choice sometimes you've just got to be who you are and deal with the consequences and sometimes you can't be who you are and you've got to like deal with those consequences i was so excited to record this episode because i knew we were going to talk about these deep intense subjects and i love that about you that we're able to talk about the real shit and get you know keep it real and and be like this happens and And this is something that is going on right now. And it's not comfortable and it's very complicated. But I'm glad we're having these conversations. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your insight. I know we can speak for like 12 hours about this. But <laughs> is there something about gender or identity that you want to share? I guess I don't feel very hopeful right now that we are becoming a better place, a better world to live in as a trans person uh, or as a non-binary person. Like, I think that there's increased visibility and that is going to be helpful in the long run, but in the short run, it means that there's even more kind of hatred and violence being directed at trans people at the moment and it's really scary and there's just no way of of dealing with it under the current system you know like we just need to abolish gender altogether because it's such a violent concept and it just hurts everybody like male female trans non-binary everybody so much and I think that everyone should be able to live in the gender that best suits them and that makes them the happiest and that allows them to shine the brightest. And it's just really sad that people are so keen to, to police each other about this and that there are so many people on all sides of the spectrum that are just trying to tear people down. I do think the kids are... Uh, are going to be all right. I do think that they actually have a much, much more intelligent outlook on the whole thing. And they're much better at seeing what a ridiculous system like binary gender is. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your unique insight and the contents of your heart. It means a lot. You're welcome. So Lily, I know you've lived in several places of the world and you've also traveled extensively with your family. Can you just share with us what places have you lived at and what was your favorite thing about living in that place? Ooh, 
Well, I grew up in London. Um, I love London. I still live here now. It's just the most nuts city. You should come here, Vanya, as soon as possible. And then I lived in Cambridge for a few years, which was um, where I went to university and I loved it. It was really, it was very small after London and uh, it was a bit claustrophobic, but it was also really beautiful. And I met some really great people there. Oh, also before I moved to Cambridge, I actually lived in Paris and in Cairo. Why Why did you live in Cairo? Well, in those two places, but especially Egypt. Why were you living there? I Well, I had this like, um, I took a year out between school and university and I worked for six months in Paris and I was just working in a bar, um, saving up money. And then I, I can't remember exactly why I moved to Cairo. One of my best friends, her family was from Cairo and her mum helped me find a flat and uh, a kind of a, a job there. I just thought it'd be fun. You know, I don't know. I'd, I'd never been to Cairo and I thought it would be a fun place to live. And it, it was really fun. I, I learned some Arabic and I ate really amazing food. It was great. What happened after Cairo? So then I went to Cambridge, went to university. And then after that, I moved back to London briefly. And then I moved to Amsterdam for a few months. It was really, really cold. Like it just snowed the whole time I was there. And I would like ride one of those old Dutch bikes all around Amsterdam and like fall off in the like icy cobbles all the time. Uh, that was quite fun. Really nice beer. Then I moved back to London. I was in London for a few years. And then I moved to Portland. And that was a totally random decision based on some comics that I'd read. And I just thought it looked like a really nice place to live. So I moved there. And then I moved back to London. And those are all the places I've lived. And now that you're back in London, where are you studying your master's? I'm studying at Central St. Martins, which is one of the art schools that makes up the University of Arts London. And also the place where Alexander McQueen and Stella McCartney went to school. Another super cool, smart, interesting creatives. Yes. Fashion is really, really big there. They get most of the building and animation is like way back in the back corner and no one really cares about us. But <laughs> in the basement. <laughs> yeah. Hey, are you enjoying the show? If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen and leave us a rating and review. This helps us share the magic. Thank you so much. Hey there, I just wanted to let you know that I just uploaded a bunch of new work on my website, vaniavananina.com. Colorful ceramics galore! Mugs, planters, trinket bowls, and other fun things like stickers and enamel pins. Check them out before they're gone. Go to vaniavananina.com. What was the toy you always wanted but never had? Oh, I don't know if this counts as a toy, but I really, really wanted those shoes with lights that flashed when you walked on them, you know, that kids have. Yes, yes, yes. I never had a pair. It was like, oh, and I also wanted the shoes that had wheels inside them, you know, and then you could turn them into yes. the rollerblades. Oh, my God, I wanted those <laughs> so bad, uh, but I never had either of them. 
But when I was an adult, I actually bought myself some shoes with flashy lights and I love them. Yeah, I remember. And you did tons (laughs) of boomerangs and videos and you were like, yay, golden patent leather shoes that lit up on the soul. I'm still a five-year-old inside, turns out. What song do you listen to hype you up? Do I listen to hype me up? Ooh. Yes. Make Me Feel by Janelle Monáe. Ooh, good one. Yeah. What is the best advice someone gave you? Oh, someone told me in like in a job once, they were like, don't let yourself become the person that does all the stuff, you know? No, wait, I remember this and I think you need to share exactly what they were talking about. What office supply were they talking about? <laughs> Was it post-its? Yes. Okay. It was this person. She said to me, don't be the person that goes and gets the post-its because then you'll always be the person that goes and gets the post-its and everyone else is perfectly capable of going and getting the post-its. And you have to just sit there, even if it's uncomfortable and everyone's waiting for you to get the post-its, don't do it. That is great advice. It just applies in so many different parts of life. (laughs) Yes. Post-its are metaphorical and yes. Yeah. Basically, don't let men push you around. Take that. uh, Another way of phrasing it. (laughs) Yes. Lily, what is your favorite word? You know, I really like the word corner, which is quite a boring word. um, (laughs) It just really sounds like what it is, like like it's going around corner. corner. Oh, and I also love the word shenanigans. (laughs) Shenanigans. That is such a funny word. That's such a good word. Stop it with those shenanigans. (laughs) In the corner. Stop it with those corner shenanigans. (laughs) (laughs) What do you wish you had known when you started out your visual arts career? I think um, I wish I'd had a better snack routine from the beginning. I think I'm, I'm nailing my snack routine these days, but it's, you, you need to eat a lot of snacks to make art. What is your go-to snack when you're making art? I will kind of eat anything, but um, <laughs> I like, uh, I like samosas. They have samosas in America. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There's like in supermarkets in England, they sell like crap samosas, but I really like them or sausage rolls, or biscuits. Which are cookies in the US, right? Oh yeah, biscuits are cookies. (laughs) What is something that you failed at? Mm. I failed at so many things, Fania. (laughs) It's a deep question. (laughs) Well, that's good. That's a good answer. Because it gives us all hope that we're all in this together. What was the last gift you gave someone? I gave my sister a pair of cycling gloves for her birthday. Very useful. Very useful. Not very exciting, but she liked them. Oh, no, wait. I also gave my little cousin. Well, I I delivered a bike to him, but it wasn't from me. It was from my grandparents. But I did have to carry it all the way across (laughs) London. So I feel like I gave it to him. (laughs) That's so cute. Are really heavy. They're small, but they're heavy. Now you can bike together in London. Yeah, I'm really excited. W- what is your favorite product that you use? 
in your daily life? Ooh, like for anything. Yes. I use like a lot of hand cream because I have really dry hands, but it's really boring hand cream that has like nothing in it because my hands are like prone to getting, I just get like really bad eczema on them. Like I just keep them constantly lubed. <laughs> That's another good life hack, actually. Lots of lube all the time for everything. Just lube <laughs> up. Lots of lube for everything all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That is a really good tip. On your hair, on your hands, on your skin, on your bike, all the places. <laughs> But different That's... kinds, different kinds. Don't different you? Like, kinds, like, of course. Hair. You've got to use conditioner on your hair and like cream on your body, you know. <laughs> in other kinds of lubes uh, in other parts. Yes, exactly. And get pricey lubes because you don't <laughs> want to use cheap stuff on those parts it's not worth it I pack <laughs> Lily what is a book that changed your life Ooh, uh, Stone Butch Blues by mm. Leslie Feinberg really changed my life and for the last question what <laughs> is something that you don't want to do ever again I never want to work in a pizza restaurant again. <laughs> Why? Because I don't like pizza anymore because of working <laughs> at a pizza restaurant and it makes me really sad. In fact, maybe I don't want to work in any restaurant ever again because then I will stop liking the food of that restaurant and soon I won't be able to eat anything. And that's tragic. That you don't eat you pizza know? anymore. No. So bad. I know, it's sad. Pizza's so good. But it's just weird now. I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry <laughs> for your loss. <laughs> Who would be your ideal dinner guest? Beyonce! <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Beyonce and the twins. <laughs> Beyonce and the twins, but not Jay-Z. He can't come. Yeah, Blue Ivy and the twins and Beyonce. What would yeah. you say to Beyonce? If you had the opportunity to actually have dinner with her, what would you say to her? You know, I've thought about this so much and I, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know whether I'd be able to say anything. It would just be like I just like just even when I went to see her in the summer and she was in a stadium like, you know, and she was about, you know, she was tiny. She was about two inches high because she was so far away from me. And even then I just felt completely like overwhelmed by her presence Like, imagine she was in the same room as me, like sitting opposite me at a table. It would, I would just probably be, you know, talking absolute nonsense, but like now, just, just forever. <laughs> you know what? Scrap death and grief, scrap Portland, scrap Stone Butch Blues, Beyonce. Beyonce. <laughs> Beyonce is like what I want to leave everybody with forever. Beyonce is the answer for everything <laughs> pretty much she does have it all as well she's got songs about grief, love, death life, sex everything you need the church of Beyonce Lily thank you so much for your time for your candor thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and feelings and experiences thank you for being the magical human that you are. 
you can find Lily on Instagram at Lashes of Sacula. And also on Tumblr. Their blog name is Lashes of Sacula. This is what I'm taking away from my conversation with Lily. Number one, don't take yourself so seriously. Anything can happen tomorrow. Number two, there is no right way to grieve. All of our feelings are valid. Telling yourself off for not doing things a certain way is such a waste of energy. Number three, grief is a complete mess until you start being a little bit less of a mess. But it really never goes away. You learn how to live with it. Number four, sometimes immersing yourself into a new city or situation can help you get the language you need to figure things out. Number five, sometimes in order to be safe, you need to dress or act in a certain way that is not necessarily comfortable for you. It is a really hard choice you have to make. And sometimes it's not even a choice. Sometimes you need to be who you are and deal with the consequences. Number six, everyone should be able to live in the gender that best suits them and makes them the happiest and allows them to shine the brightest. You can learn more about the Doggy Center, the National Center for Grieving Children and Families, at doggy.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot org. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you feel a little bit more inspired, more magical, more human. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. Say hello to me on Instagram and tell me what resonated with you or what did you like the most about today's episode. If anything you listened to made you think of someone, please go share it with them. The world is a better place when we make each other feel seen. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I see you, I hear you, I love you. Talk to you next week. Bye. This show is produced by Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative with music by Megan Diana and cover art by Vania Vananina, that's me, and Maya Busby. <laughs>